everyone. Welcome back to another Right Way podcast episode. Today we are talking to children's author Marianne Richmond. Um, Marianne and I actually met in line at a bookstore a couple of years ago. And then we ran into each other again when I was doing a book signing at Costco of all places. And we kind of hit it off. And I've been so impressed with her just breadth of experience in the publishing industry. She's literally a best-selling children's book author who sold six million copies of her book over the span of 25 years. And she was also a publisher for many, many years with a greeting card company. And today she really dives into not only the business and how she got her start and how kind of organic uh, of a transition it was from self-publishing to traditional publishing, but she really talks about something we never have discussed on this episode. We're really lucky to have her here because it was a, a little bit of a, a, a debate for Rhea and I, what what do we get to pick Marianne's brain about? Uh, is it going to be being a best-selling children's book author, or is it going to be the um, her experience in publishing and the discussion about how books actually make it onto the bookshelf? So you all are in for like a really rad treat today and some a conversation that we uh, you haven't heard before. Absolutely, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. All right, Marianne, welcome to the show. This is so cool. <laughs> Hello. A lot. So it's, it's fun to have you to have you on here. So welcome. Thank you. Yes. And did you tell everyone or you'll have to tell everyone that we basically met in a line at a bookstore? <laughs> well, yeah, that, but then we saw each other at Costco of all places. Of all. Doing <laughs> oh God. There. We ran yeah. into again there and kind of reconnected. Um, which is yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> um, but your background, I feel like it's so eclectic and varied and interesting <laughs> and useful <laughs> for writers everywhere. But, you know, from being a best-selling children's book author to running your own publishing house, I feel like you truly have been on all sides of the publishing coin. So can you talk to us a little yeah. bit about how you got your start as a writer and then as a publisher? Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'll try to condense like the 25 <laughs> year journey, right? Um, yeah. Something that I never planned on, which is kind of how it goes sometimes, but I mean, long story short, I grew up with health issues. I had um, undiagnosed epilepsy, basically. And so I went through 15 years of grand mal seizures that no doctors could figure out what was wrong with me. And that all culminated with having brain surgery in my early 20s. And I had a brain tumor. So I was living in Connecticut at the time. And my husband and I, we were just like boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. We literally met three months before. It's like, oh, hi, <laughs> I'm having brain surgery. <laughs> and he didn't bail. So that was good. Good um, sign. But anyway, during my recovery from that, I was sitting home 
like bored and bald. I mean, I, it was like eight weeks of downtime, my husband or boyfriend's working. And so I started hand painting thank you cards for people. And a friend of mine at the time, his name was Kevin. He would come over. He was kind of my entertainer. He would rearrange my furniture and wallpaper my kitchen. He was an interior designer in town. And he's like, oh my gosh, I could sell these. I was like, oh, shut up. You know, I was really kind of embarrassed about this little creative diversion because I was not this great artist who's, you know, well, sure enough, he comes back with orders. He goes out to these gift shops and he comes back with orders. Wow. And he's like, yeah, Sue, at, he's like Sue at the country goose wants a dozen <laughs> daisies. You wow. know? And it's really fun until it's not. I'm making nothing. And, and, and by then I went back to work. You know, I was a writer. I was a freelance writer at a corporate communications company. And then we moved to Minnesota. We got married and moved to Minnesota and my greeting card company came with us in a bunch of boxes. And by then I had printed them and found some sales reps and stuff like that. And yeah, just kind of grew this greeting card business. And I, um, Dayton Hudson, I don't know if you guys remember that department store, it like preceded Macy's and that it was in Minneapolis. And I, yeah, I literally at my lunch hour one day walked over to the buying office of Dayton Hudson took myself to the sixth floor and showed up and, and um, called the greeting card buyer from the lobby. And she was known as a real, oh, yeah, just a real, can I say that on your podcast? <laughs> yes, I mean, really, like she had Please, this, yeah, like she, yeah, yeah, like she had this reputation. But anyway, I, I, I leave this rambling message on the voicemail. This was when you could walk into a lobby and the phone is there with the list. And it's like, and I pick it up and I'm like, don't answer, don't answer. And she answers. Anyway, she calls me back that afternoon. I kid you not. And she's like, you know, I actually really like your cards. She said, but you need more. And it took me two years to create enough designs. And I called her back and she bought $20,000 worth of cards. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was that sale that my husband quit his job. He was an engineer. He quit his job. And I know you can relate to that, Rhea. Yes. And we got this warehouse, we got this building in downtown Minneapolis. And I decided to write my first book. Oh. And it, it. yep. And this was like 1997. And self publishing was not mm-hmm. the thing it is now. This was, I mean, it was barely. I mean, I'm so dating myself, but even the concept of like oh, graphic design, laying out my greeting cards. I mean, I was literally hand painting the words onto the card. Wow. And when I made a mistake, crunched it up and threw it away. I mean, so archaic, right? Um, but I wrote a book called The Gift of an Angel. Mm-hmm. And it was a metaphor for my health journey. Because I had, um, I had a mother who was MIA and yet I had all these other people. And so it was this idea that, okay, you don't get this, but you get this other stuff. You get these other people who show up. And I thought, well, I could sell this to the same retailers who are buying my cards. And I took it to, I hired someone to lay it out and I printed it at a printer. And I literally took my pages to a bindery 
and put the jackets on them and started selling this self-published gift book to retailers. Wow. All that's on your own. All on your own. All, all on my own. That's how it started. And I sold 10,000 copies oh, of that stop. thing. That's amazing. What, okay, so how, I did. how did you sell 10,000 copies of that? <laughs> um, so at the time, you know, selling the, I, I was really only selling to the mom and pop shops, the gift shops that were very plentiful back then, you know, and how you reached them was through a network of sales reps. And that still exists today. I mean, it's obviously changing with online sales and whatnot, but it was like this network of independent sales reps that were in the gift and stationary business. And you would find your rep in the Pacific Northwest and you would have a Chicago rep and you would have a Georgia rep, you know, and you like piece together this little sales force. Were and you doing so all that legwork on yeah. your own too, Marianne? Were you, I mean. Which piece of finding like, them? Yeah, finding finding the reps, getting, because you, you, you also had all the physical product yourself. So yeah. was it all? We the, sure did. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so my, hus- my husband and I were doing this together. It was just he and I. And I was still working the full-time writing job during the day, but he had quit because of the big green card order. And so he was in our warehouse slash office in downtown Minneapolis. And that, you know, that's what we were doing is kind of growing this rep network and selling our greeting card line and our one book to the gift shops around the country. And that, yeah, that's kind of how it was going. Wow. Question, how did you make the transition from that into traditional publishing? Was that, did that come just with time? Okay. So that one, so that one book became many. Mm -hmm. And at the time I would kind of, my strategy was really for listening to what were the, what do I want to say? Sort of the emotional needs that people were expressing or the themes so the the second book I'll I'll tell you this piece and then then we can fast forward so I was kind of okay the first book was working and it was like all right well what's my second book going to be and I met a woman who lost her little boy at two years old and she came into my life through a mutual friend and she sat at my kitchen table. She she like poured out her heart about the grief journey and how no one knows what to say to you. So they avoid you. And and yeah, they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to make you sad. And so they say nothing. And that really moved me. And I thought, wow, okay, I could come up with the words. I could come up with the words to say to someone who's grieving. And Mm. so I wrote my second book called the gift of a memory. And so with these two books, I had created the bookends of life and then spent the next 16 years filling in books for every freaking thing. And we were just growing this publishing business, you know, and we, and we moved from gift shops to selling to the mass market where, and, and I, that was another thing, you know, I called, I emailed the buyer at Target. I emailed the buyer at Walmart. I was flying to Arkansas and sitting with the book buyer at um, 
at Walmart and, and growing this business. And through 16 years, our high, I think we reached our peak of revenue at about $3 million in I mean, 2010. It's crazy. And this piece, I'm so interested in this, yeah. your, your writing career. So, yeah. I mean, uh, what a true, like, like independent <laughs> grassroots genesis of this thing. And then over the course of the last two totally. decades, you sold 6 million copies of your books. Um, yes, that never is considered, true. Never considered a quote list title bestseller, which my question to that is what? Not one, <laughs> not one, not one. We have to go into this because I remember you saying that like, oh yeah, I've sold 6 million <laughs> of my books, but you never yeah. quote unquote the, the list title bestseller. So talk to us a little no. bit about that because this is a huge issue among writers where they don't feel successful unless they hit that list, even though you can hit a list, sell a few thousand copies and never sell another copy in your life. We've right. Before, but um, so in 2010, it was two years post recession, if you remember. And so all these gift shops were closing, going bankrupt, and the mass merchants were starting to, instead of paying net 30, it was net 90, and, and things were just crumbling, if you will. And we ended up going out of business. So that is how my, my own publishing journey ended. Um, we had sold about a quarter million dollars worth of books to Walmart wow. and they returned them. They returned them what? because they can. And it was, it there was many things sort of going downhill, but I would say that was the nail in the coffin because we had already, we were already on the hook for printing those books. We had, we had a credit line with the bank, you know, to fund growth. And that was a time when the banks were all pulling credit. And so it, it, it was like our 16 year business ended on a Tuesday. It was that abrupt. I mean, I, I showed up to work and our accountant or you know, bookkeeper was like, yeah, we're, we're done. The, the bank wants to call the, the credit line and, and we were done. And so I ended up, um, we were like inches away from declaring a corporate bankruptcy. And I put out an email to about a hundred different traditional publishers um, that were all on a list from Target. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I would get the reports every week. You know, my stuff was selling in Target. And so I was on this huge distribution list that would tell you your sales every week. Mm -hmm. And I literally hit re reply all to this. <laughs> list wow. and wow. source and source source books yes. uh, responded to that um, but not right away um, I mean it wasn't like I mean I ran to my email every day and it was like who wants me <laughs> crickets <Wow>. nobody <laughs> wow yeah and it wasn't I mean you guys will love this but I literally like I'm sitting in my office all our employees are gone we've laid off everybody we're done 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 and i had a meeting on my calendar still with with target and i show up for it because i had the manuscript for the gift of an angel or not the gift of an angel if i could keep you little i had written a book called if i could keep you little and i had the manuscript done and i took that to the target meeting and in the lobby was the sales guy from sourcebooks 
Wow. His meeting was after mine and we're on the couch together. And he says, I got your email. And I'm like, I know, cause <laughs> I remember his name. And he says, you know, my CEO is really interested. And by the time I got back to my office, she had called me. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, you mm -hmm. and so that is it. Yep. Correct. Say that one more time. You've been with source books ever since, right? Like you have, I have, I have. Yeah. Uh, with them. So I think when they acquired the publishing rights mm -hmm. to everything I'd done, which was probably 70 titles by them in all shapes and sizes, you know, there were picture books, there were gift, small gift books, there were journals. I mean, we had created a lot of stuff over 16 years. Um, and so I think with them since, which has now been 10 years since that day on the couch, uh, gosh, maybe 20 more or something like that. So, yeah, that would be my guess. Amazing. Yeah. And so you asked about the bestseller thing and that, I mean, to be perfectly honest, has been frustrating for me. It's like, yeah, you can sell all the stuff and not make the, the list. And yeah. <laughs> I think some of it, and I've talked to the publicist about this at Sourcebooks, some of it is, is format because there's certain formats of books they don't count, like board books, for example. And a lot of my titles that are really great sellers, like The Gift of any, uh, I keep saying that if I could keep you little in, in a padded board book mm -hmm. sells a lot, but it's not the right format. Mm. So it doesn't count. Uh, um, or, yeah. So for my book, so yeah. Or they count, you know how that is. Like you want that first week to be it. Well, a lot of my titles, because they are kind of emotional keepsakes, if you will, mm -hmm. they are just, they're in the long game of people having babies and celebrating this and celebrating that. It's not like the big splash. Well, it's, it's very interesting kind that of you books. say that. You do have these like very evergreen books. This uh, And yes. you know, speaking of that, I think it's so interesting that, um, uh, you know, on the edge of bankruptcy, uh, the long game, you know, you say long game, the long game of, of this career, of this, of two decades, mm -hmm. of six million copies, of all of these books, uh, it, it's, it's just so incredible. I'm curious what you personally, I mean, I think I hear some things, you're really committed to, you know, doing the legwork and you're willing to take some like, really like big, uh, bold risks, which I love. But I'm curious mm -hmm. what, how, what mm -hmm. you Thanks. personally would attribute to this long game success. Oh God, freaking tenacity. Um, there you go. I think, you know, Ria, I was listening to a podcast, one of your, your episodes that you did where you, you talk about the feedback you get from readers. Yep. And I think that it, it's like a combination of really feeling like I am living my gifts yeah. um, because the, the letters I get from people are just wow. 
And, and it's certainly not like my, my email box is jammed. That is not it at all. But the ones that come in are like, how did you know what my heart was feeling? I used your book to help explain adoption to my child. I read your book every day in the NICU Oh, before my baby, before my baby passed away. Oh. I have seriously, I mean, some of these letters are like, wow. Like my book is part of your journey. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that keeps me going through it. But I, to be perfectly frank, I, I feel even at a crossroads now mm-hmm. because my kids are 17 to 23 now. Right. I am moving farther and farther away from my direct inspiration. Mm-hmm. And part of I, my skill, I think, which has kept me into it is sort of this knack I seem to have for listening for the universal. And I would say as a tip for writers, just that piece of the, the universal in the, in the specific. You know, I like to say I, I write for the unique everybody where our stories are all, yeah, our stories are all different, but they all whittle down to about the same six feelings. Mm. And so when people say, how did you know? How did you know? How did you know? It's like, well, because everybody feels that. What are those six feelings? Oh, God, I would say grief, um, fear, uh, doubt, <laughs> you know, like be, mm-hmm. be brave, little one, mm-hmm. you know, this need to be seen. It yeah. is the need, you know what it is, you guys? It's the need to be seen. That's what it whittles <laughs> down to. Yeah. 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 You know, I have chronic pain. I am grieving. I'm celebrating. I'm self doubting. Like we all have those. Yeah. But how we're feeling it, whether it's epilepsy or adoption or grieving is, is the difference. And so this book is like, oh my God, you know, my story. It's like, well, it's everybody's story. There was a quote in um, the memoir project by Marion Roach, I think her name is, where she said, I'm, I'm telling X through Y. I'm telling the story of X through Y and X is the universal and Y is the specific. So I'm telling the story of forgiveness through my journey of epilepsy, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm right now. I'm like, well, what is the universal where I am at today? And, and, and just about a month, uh, a month before Christmas, I had a super difficult conversation with my publisher where they were telling me that some of my books aren't working anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. in target. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and I, and I, I was, <laughs> I was, I was literally crying on the other side of the phone to be perfectly transparent because what I heard was you're not working anymore. Yes. Exactly. Oh, yep. it's such a, yeah, it's such a yeah. industry <laughs> and why a lot of people tend to kind of go towards the self-publishing route so they can publish yeah they can yeah. say what they want they can and I, so, but you and so yeah that kind of leads to that how our books sold yeah exactly question. that's what I wanted to kind of like pivot a little bit because you do have such experience yeah. 
on both sides of this, but we have never mm-hmm. before talked about how books actually make it on the shelves. And I think there's a lot yeah. of around even the term distribution, whether you're self-publishing, yeah. publishing, traditional publishing. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how books actually do get sold, how they make it on the shelves? That would be so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yep, for sure. So when you're looking at that independent shop, you know, like the, the gift shop, I mean, that is really serviced through that whole independent network of, of book reps and sales reps that I was telling you about. But when you go over to the mass market side, which is, I think, where everyone wants to be, you know, I want to walk into Walmart and see my book. I want to walk into Target. That is primarily handled by uh, distributors sort of behind the scene, behind the scenes. And the the biggest one or one of the biggest is um, called ReaderLink. And and is that a name familiar to you guys? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, because you that would be. Yeah, yeah. Huge. So yeah, can you explain that, what, what that even is? Yeah. And, and back in, when I was selling to Walmart on my own, there was another one called Anderson Merchandising. And I think ReaderLink acquired Anderson. So ReaderLink is the big one. And so they're a distributor that is kind of the middle person behind or between the, the retailer target and, and the publisher. And so I have actually been to the ReaderLink offices and essentially they have planograms set up in their offices. So you go back in there and you you walk in a room and the walls are just filled like like a book display of what you would see in a Target or a Bye Bye Baby or a Walmart. And they are literally choosing the planogram in relationship with the retailer. So the publisher is pitching to the target buyer, but they're kind of pitching to reader link at the same time. I mean, it's this kind of complicated hybrid of whose attention you're getting because ultimately it's up to reader link to choose to put a Marianne Richmond title into that limited pocket that they have for board books in the planogram. So can I ask? And so it's yeah, yeah. Basing that decision on, so I mean, you know, in a weird way, (laughs) the or the title or or the the author brand is kind of has to appeal to the mass market distributor like ReaderLink first. But what are the so how does ReaderLink gauge that slot? Gauge the you know whether or not to put that oh my (laughs) oh yes that that is the million dollar question right and so some of it is familiarity with the brand so I know that if I if I put Elmo in that pocket Elmo's gonna sell um and or Sesame Street or big uh Eric Carl brown bear brown bear I mean like the classics are probably always going to have that space. And then it's familiarity with the brand of, okay, I know that Marianne Richmond titles sell pretty well in conjunction with that target buyer, speaking into reader link saying, hey, we want 25% of the planogram to have diverse titles or titles by black authors now. And so those limited pockets might be changed up because of, what I was speaking to earlier 
where they feel like they need to, oh, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like answer oh, the need or the headlines, if you will, like what it's time to change it up. It's, it's time to give a new voice out there. In addition to Target literally analyzes the pockets. They have data on each pocket. Second row, second from the left pocket is selling four turns per week. Oh my God. You know, um, <laughs> and then it drills down into, okay, let's look, why is that book selling? Okay, it's got a blue cover with bears. Yeah. I mean, I have literally had conversations with source books about do rabbits outsell bears? <laughs> in, I kid you not. Insane and fascinating. I kid you not. And blue covers outsell red and yellow doesn't sell. And bears making eye contact are better than bears side by side. Oh my goodness. So who's the real and book so customer this, here? <laughs> yeah, right? That is a huge question between creative person, between author and buyer. And, and going back to that conversation I had with my publisher, what, what was just so personal to me was that whole idea of that, like you're my, for the books I write, these emotional books, it is my soul on paper. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would do art for a cover and then the, and then I would get it back and they, and it was manipulated to turn my bears toward each other because it was proven that eye contact sells. <laughs> and I would try to say like, but there is an energy in the book that comes from my creative inspiration and travels to that cover. That is the piece that you cannot put data on sure. that helps it jump into a cart of a mom. Well, here's a question I have. Do these rules apply for when you buy a book online? And, mm, and I mean, question. in 2020, you know, unfortunately, so many books aren't coming, book sales aren't coming from the shelves. They're coming from, you know, digital, like digital purchases. And so do these same rules apply? Like if you're buying your book on Amazon or if you're buying your book online somewhere? Hello, Marianne. Oh, where'd she go? Hello, hello. Uh oh. Oh boy. I was like, whoa, that's real pause for thought there. <laughs> um, we... Oh yeah, she just disappeared. Oh, interesting. I... Where is she? Wait, she's back. Oh, okay, she's back. I was I like, oh, a very long pause. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to think about it. <laughs> I just want you to know that Rhea and I, there was plenty of airtime there before Rhea and I were even like, Marianne. <laughs> we really were like, wanted to give it, give it that, that yeah. time. Oh, that is, yes. that is so funny that, you um, know, I was like, hello. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. Oh God, what were we talking about? So I was just saying, do the same rules apply in terms of, you know, from book to buyer, if someone is purchasing a book online, like what are the rules there? Mm. Do they apply? 
Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I um, are you saying that when you say rules, do you mean? I mean, it's the mean? same kind of, you know, how books get sold. Like, what are the the rules if if someone's just purchasing on Amazon or going on Amazon? Like, how do those books? Oh, because so yeah, many today aren't selling off of physical shelves. They're exactly being sold online, which is you know a travesty for so so many of yes. us. Yes, yeah. right. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I can't really speak to that yeah. as much because of. Well, a little bit I can, and I know some, I know a little bit that it, the, um, there's a lot of testing going on now yeah. in that arena where, okay, so here's an example. I am actually working on a um, kind of like a, 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 a guided journal. So my book, Be Brave Little One, um, I have done a lot of school visits around that book where we talk about finding finding your brave. And what is it? What does courage mean? And we really dive into the concept of courage. And so I'm creating a journal to go along with that. Well, they, I created like four different cover ideas for that. And they literally tested them with this online kind of focus group, if you will. And I don't know much about it or how it got formed. All I know is it exists. And they measure which covers are getting clicked on, but they don't go anywhere. They're merely for market research to inform the cover. So that to your point, if I'm only buying online, what am I clicking on? Yeah. What, mm. what has the potential to get the most clicks? So I think that's an answer. Yeah. Is sort of the online testing. Huh. And okay. And the other piece is there is a lot of co-creating that goes on with, um, with the buyers and sort of reader link. Mm -hmm. And this has been going on for years. I remember when I was selling greeting cards to target way, way, way back when, and I had lunch with this guy, with the owner of a company in Minneapolis called Gartner Studios. And they, they had so much product in Target at the time. They just so many SKUs and we were having lunch. And here I am with like my three little products hanging there, you know? And he's telling me about trips that he's taking with buyers to go quote unquote trending overseas like literally like picking out stuff together and I was like wow I am not part of that club <laughs> well I, I think this begs an interesting question in yeah it was like wow yeah in your experience what would you say that authors need to be aware of when they're trying to sell their books like um do you have any effective strategies that you would consider most important or least important? <sighs> Today, because it's all changing so much. Well, one thing that comes in my mind, and I know you've, this is what your whole podcast is about, is the business of writing. God, yes. The business of writing. And I think, I just talked to a woman yesterday, an aspiring author who wants to write books 
for diverse families. Mm -hmm. She is a mom raising a child with her wife and she wants to give voice to diverse families. And it, and it, and we talked about that, like it, about the creative vision. Like if you are so oh, married and passionate about your one message and, and it better look exactly how you want it and you can see the art and then self-publishing is probably your, your avenue. Yeah. But if you want that, if you, if you want to be paying your, hopefully your mortgage in the business of writing, you really have to look at your book as a product. Yes. We say and that all the time. We say that all the I time. I know you do. And I'm echoing that. And it and it's the my internal fight all so the I, time. So do you think that the author has a responsibility, maybe more than the publisher, to to maintain the the point of view on selling books? Wait, did I understand you asking of who has the point of view? Who has the responsibility to sell the books? Do you think that an author has more responsibility than the publisher to sell the books? I think it is. it has to be a partnership where the vision of the author is given consideration. Yeah. Because... And, and we've come a long way in this regard with, with me with Sourcebooks because when they bought my company, if you will, they were used to just kind of, they were used to, to just doing what they do, right? And I was over here saying, wait, I, I wanna be included. You know, I want you to hear from me and I wanna have a say. Mm -hmm. But I think that was a little new to them because a lot of authors, when they traditionally publish, are like, fine, just do it. Yeah. I, just let me write. Just do it. Yeah. And so I think what I gain from their experience is all that stuff I was telling you. Sitting in my lone office here with my dog, mm -hmm. I do not have the expertise of knowing that blue outsells red. And I'm, and I'm just being dumb if I don't let some of that data inform my creativity. Sure. Hmm. Well, that's, um, yeah. That's the tough part. I think the more you know about this industry and the more that you treat it like a business, for me, yes. it kind of kills my creativity, quite honestly. Like I, yes. Again, so fondly back to when I was first getting back into fiction and, and how free I felt and how imaginative and how I wasn't afraid oh. to play. And now it's yes. like, oh God, I got to fit into this box and I have to do this and I have to, you know, yes. I, there's such this like disconnect, but also conundrum of allowing yourself the space to be creative, but also knowing what you need to know about selling a book, oh. especially for fiction writers, because nonfiction, yes. are, it makes sense. You're building your brand, your business, but for fiction, there's not necessarily that um, same sense of need or scarcity factor around your book. So it is yes. romanticized. I feel like, um, well, and if you look at any creative product, if you will, and most of the time, it's come, it comes from inside out. Mm -hmm. 
You know, you look at a musician and they were moved to write something because they went through something. And, you know, your inspiration, the germ of inspiration comes from something. And even if you are a fiction writer, it comes from something. You're a mom. So maybe you're moved to imagine if your daughter was taken or like some of the themes that you explore. But when that data comes from the outside in, yes. it's harder to respond to. I mean, I've had those conversations where it's like, we need a book about farm animals, oh farm animals sell. Okay. Yep. And, I've tr- <laughs> and I've tried that. And then, and then six months later, it's like, huh, that's not selling. I wonder why. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, mm -hmm. so it's that dance. Do I write the farm book and and get an advance because I need to pay a college tuition bill and then work on, on my passion projects? on the side, you know, I, I, I don't have the answer. There's no good answer for that. Is there? There really is. No, because 25 flipping years later, I still had a conversation that left me in tears. Yeah. Still 25 years later of knowing I'm trying to make a living doing this. And I still can feel the skewer through my heart. Oh, well, let me, let's talk yeah. about children's books for a moment, because I swear in the last week alone, I've met a couple of different, like several different people, like a contractor, someone who's a landscaper, um, a, another random business person, and they all want to write children's <laughs> books. And oh, I think, tell me about it. Tell right? me about it's it. It's a universal mm-hmm. um, love uh, for children's books, but it's also a very, all these people who want to write children's books, myself included, I think it's really daunting because it's, you know, you sometimes don't know, like, where do you start? Do you have to have the manuscript and the illustrations? Like, what do you, mm. can you take us through that process? You're such an expert in this field. And what would be your, yeah. your advice to someone who's like, I am sitting down and I am writing a children's book. What do they do? Oh my gosh. Um, I, completely concur with you that everyone wants to write a children's book. In fact, um, Dominique, the CEO of Sourcebooks, uh, she echoed that same thing during a conversation where she said she has all her adult her adult authors wanting to write children's books. Yes, and I, I don't know what the allure is, if we all want to get back to a simpler time. Yes. Um, or yeah, like, what is that? But it's, it's, it's more difficult than I, I think people realize I mean first of all the succinctness you know of a children's book I think it's that idea of oh how hard can it be to write 500 words or less over 32 pages you know how hard can that be but it's just like any other book writing is I think knowing what you stand for to build that brand slash expertise slash narrative around your work. Um, it's hard to break in with kind of a, a, a one-off children's book unless you are Hoda Kotb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, and that, you know, of course it's frustrating when an actor or actress comes along and they pen a children's book and instantly they're on the Today Show and they go to the top of the list. Um, because they have that built-in media attention, you know. But for me, it always starts with the manuscript. It always starts with the words. And a lot of times, 
um, you know, you're just giving the, the publisher your, your manuscript, you know, so I turn in, I mean, I'm at the point now where I can have the germ of an idea and show it to my editor and it gets a yay or a nay pretty quickly. But, you know, where I wrote, um, you know, I promised you last fall and, and I had like three paragraphs done and she's like, okay, yeah, keep going. Um, but if I'm not illustrating it myself, you know, then it goes into the process of, of them choosing an illustrator. And that's a whole other thing. Like they talk about the package. That's a term they, they put around a lot is the package. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain illustration style that they choose if it's a mass market book. They even talk about that, like a reader link friendly illustrator. Oh, isn't that interesting? So can you, like, if you're writing one though, and you have an illustrator, can you go ahead and do illustrations or should you not? You know, a lot of times they say no, no, because they're going to mm. pick. Yeah. They're going to pick it anyway. I mean, if you feel as a creative person, like I can't just give these words. I need to show you what I'm thinking. Exactly. I need to show you what I envision. Sure, go ahead. But 90%, probably 99, they're going to say, yeah, but we're going to find we're going to find an illustrator. Sure. I mean, I was a unique situation because I had been doing my own illustrations for so long. And it was like, kind of like why fix what's not broken. But I will tell you that if people are going to critique my stuff, they're going to go after the art. And they, I have, mm. had, yes, I have had, I have had a lot of criticism around my art saying it's, it's too amateur. It's too, wow. she, anyone could do her art. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's my, uh, my weak spot, if you will. Okay. And it's, yep. And it's, um, you know, when I started illustrating books, I did it because I didn't know how to find an illustrator. Right. And so it was like, okay, okay. I can draw an angel. Let me try. <laughs> I think with illustrators, how much you're going to have to pay them or what that looks like, or where do you yes. start to find a good illustrator? Um, I mean, that's yeah. a huge question in and of itself. But there's a lot of independently published people who are making a lot of money doing that. Okay. Talk about, your you know, yeah, you were talking about who wrote the ninja series, self-published. Yes. Got some Amazon yes. How much of a royalty check is she making every month? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's a royalty check per se, but I know that, um, you know, when you're, when you're print on demand through Amazon and see, you guys know way more about that than I do through some of the people you've interviewed, but you know, you're keeping a much bigger chunk of that sale. So if, yeah, it was a woman named Mary Nin, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Like N I H N. And she wrote like, she writes the ninja hack, the ninja hacks series. And there's a ton of them. And she's got this super uh, uh, like simple character. That's a ninja. It looks like a, like a little Gumby almost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ninja wears a mask. Ninja's helpful. Ninja's honest. I mean, they are super simple. And she's got like a hundred of them. Maybe not that many, but a lot. And if you look at the number of reviews and the rankings of these books, she is selling a ton. And I wanted, to, I just, what did I tell you, Rhea? Do you remember the number I, I shared with you? $150,000 a month. God. Yeah, of revenue <laughs> that insane. these 
best ninja hack books are selling. Wow. Yeah, she is a true success story. And there's another independent success story of a teacher who wrote a book called um, Our Classroom is a Family. Another example of a teacher who's like, I want to tell my children they are safe in my classroom because the world's gone mad. And so she wrote, our classroom is a family and is selling a boatload to her fellow teachers. So built in audience because you have some of these niche distributions like teacher fo teachers follow teachers or um, teachers pay teachers, you know, some of those niche distribution ways of reaching your market. Totally. And, and she was approached, I think, by every, every top five publisher. And she said, oh. for now, she's said, no, thank you. Which I love. She may change her mind. But why? Why would she? I mean, you're not going to yeah. make a, a hundredth of the money you're exactly right. I mean, there's, if it's working, I mean, that's the thing about self-publishing when it works well, it's kind yes. of unbeatable in terms of just the return on investment um, and just the autonomy that you maintain. So I think so that comes back, Rhea, you guys, to the marketing question. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it, that's where it comes back to, because as I just told this aspiring author yesterday, I said, getting the book is the easy part. Yes. Getting the book is the easy part. Now, what are you going to do with it? And whether it's print on demand, where you are making one when you sell, when you're making money when you sell it, or you get the 5,000 books, you know, delivered to your garage, what are you going to do with them? And, or traditional publishing. Yes, they may, you know, you may get that account in uh, Target or something like that, but you are still if it doesn't get chosen or you're still always looking for more ways to move your books. So it's always coming back to the marketing piece. And I think self-published authors kind of their big, big lever that they're pulling right now is the Amazon ad strategy. That is that, what they're, exactly. that's what they're, and I don't even, I, I don't even understand the half. I don't understand one iota of it. Yeah, <laughs> but there, but that is back to sort of the ninja hack idea. I had a conversation with Mary because she was trying to weigh her options about traditional versus, you know, self-publishing, and she didn't see me like choking on my coffee as she's telling me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the numbers, and and that's what she's figured out. Yeah, Steve has well, figured out the whole ad strategy. Well, um, you think that I mean, showing up in your professional opinion, I, I, you know, this wealth of experience that you bring, having watched the marketplace evolve as it has, um, being in the business, you know, uh, just what we were talking about before, how, you know, even going into to get your your greeting card business off the ground, like the phone yeah. in the lobby, um, <laughs> you, you've been in the game for a long time. Do you think yes. like is the marketing the fixture or if there's, do you think there's a best way um, oh. for aspiring authors or writers to make being a full-time writer their living? Do, do you think there's a best way or? Mm, that is such a good question. I feel like 
you have to know yourself and what you're willing to do. Well, it's like um, what you said with to the, answer you know, that question, what are you going to do with the books once they're there or yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, if someone says, I just don't want to deal with it, all this, with the self-publishing, I don't want to have to do all that back-end business stuff or whatever that answer is. Okay. Well then if you think pu traditional publishing is your answer, most of the time traditional publishers are not going to look at your stuff unless you're agented. And okay, well, then that's a whole journey you need to travel of trying to find an agent, which is research and pitching and query letters and trying to get them to see why they should take a chance on you because an agent is a salesperson and they just want to know why are you a good product for me to sell? Um, so you kind of pick your, I hate to say pick your poison because I don't want to equate this with poison, but what avenue? is more amenable to my strengths and my bandwidth. Mm. Does that make sense? That's actually, that's, I think that's great advice, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. For our listenership, I feel like, you know, I, I think it's something that Rhea and I talk about a lot in um, asking, posing some, maybe some tough questions to yourself before you even get started and being yeah. able to answer them. Yeah, like what is my bandwidth for that? Oh, um, I think that's yeah. What is your? And I do think poison is you know, and we're not, of course, not painting it negatively, but I do think poison is kind of a good, um, is is good as an analogy because it is a little bit like, you know, some of this might, some of it might, some of a certain path might hurt a little, and some of it might be really beneficial. Some, some yeah. of it might really play to your strengths, but it might take something out of you in, 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 a, in a certain way. So I, I, yeah. I, that sounds right to me. <laughs> I know for today, sitting here on, in the middle of January, I do not want to learn the ins and outs of Amazon advertising strategies. Sure, yeah. I, I just, don't today worry. I don't. Yeah. Yep. Um, but some people like get off on that. Yeah. Like they find it so satisfying to see, oh my gosh, you know, I put this ad, the sponsored ad on Amazon and, and like 50 people clicked my book and I sold four. That's a blah, blah, blah percentage of return on my money. And like that, that is the most exciting thing that happened that day. Right. And yeah. that's just not where I'm at today. I think my bigger, my biggest challenge for me me sitting here today is trying to figure out what I have to say, mm -hmm. given where my life is as I move farther away from what has been my inspiration for so many years. And, you know, I think even saying that I'm in a way I'm answering it. I have a, I have the, the, the seeds of interest in exploring what it means to connect to yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I have given people umpteen ways to connect to each other, to their people. And at times I feel like at the expense of connecting with me. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And now that my birdies are flying the nest, I have 
been pondering that of late. Um, But it's a scary place to not know what next or what do I want to write about next? You know, those dead periods are really scary to me. (laughs) They are. I mean, yeah, they really are. Um, But I feel like it's such a big part of the process and growing and being in a rush necessarily to get to that next thing, which is hard if you're a full-time writer, of course, but yes. What is, so in this day and age with everything changing so much, just in the publishing industry and having all of the options, what it, what would be your biggest advice for aspiring writers who do want to be published today? Where would you say they really put their attention on? Oh my gosh. Um, Loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When you say attention, Rhea, what do you mean by that? I, I'm not people say like, oh, just just write a good book, pay attention to the book. Some people are like, no, this is a business and, and start there. But you know, just with your experience and knowledge and, and it having run, you know, the span of over two decades, knowing yeah. what 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 advice do you think would be helpful for someone who's trying to navigate an industry that is so overwhelming just yeah your attention well to back up a little bit I would say what is what do you hope to do with your writing for one thing um I remember when I was starting my greeting card business and trying to find reps to sell these 20 cards and they one guy said to me are you going to be my milk money or my my mortgage money (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it sort of speaks to the question of what do you hope to do with your writing what what is and you I know you speak about what is success but it's like I've had some people say as I'm like telling them this whole long distribution story, they're like, I just want to see my name in print. Like what? Oh my God. You could just go down to the copy shop then and like hand your stapled up papers to your grandma. If that's all you want, easy. (laughs) But if it's like, you know what? I just want, you know, I want to touch a few lives. I want, you know, so it's like, and for me, no, I'm actually trying to be this, the second decent income to support my family of six people. Like that's my goal. And because that's my goal, I'm willing to try to understand like this is a business and yes, my feelings are hurt because my stuff's not working, but okay, life is different. How do I need to to be different? And like really trying to separate my wounded ego from what the market is clearly telling me. And, you know, so I, to answer that, and I don't know if I did, I think it's really to have a clear understanding of what do I want to accomplish? Am I willing to have a day, a day job and and then just do this at night to feed my creative, like, like embroidery or or is it like, (laughs) no, I'm, I'm like, I want to be out there. I want to be doing school visits. I want to be doing visiting bookstores and and doing virtual author interviews. And like, I want to be out there. And then if you answer, and if it's, and if that's a yes, then you're standing at that crossroads again and, and asking yourself, what is most 
in align with my talents? Do I go the self-publishing route yep. or do I start looking for the agent and pitch myself as the answer to their question of why do I want you in my and, arsenal? And like you said before, uh, you know, over the course of a career, um, there's going to, those intersections are going to keep cropping up and it's just about mm -hmm. being able to ask the question and then have the answer of, of, you know, what's your poison? What are you willing to do? What are you capable of? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, this is the first year that I don't really have the next kid's book mm -hmm. and, and okay. And that, and, and I, and the sales guy, um, I was having a conversation with a salesperson and, and he said, your, your best bet is to fill your pipeline. Okay. I understand what he's saying, but even that word, fill your pipeline, yeah. creates this, oh God, sort of this angst in me. Like, okay, what if I don't have anything to fill my pipeline? I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of empty right now. Right. You know, um, that's okay though. I think that's okay. Yeah. We all feel such pressure to, to, to produce, 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 produce. And sometimes I think there are seasons of, of yeah. just kind of processing and being, and back in the day, I mean, good Lord. I mean, writers got know. years between books and really got to work. I know. Yes. Really yeah. And it, yeah. And that, that is my own personal stuff that feeds all of our writing, isn't it? Where, yes. You know, because I grew up with a kid having these weird seizures, it was like, I think I've been on a mission to prove, prove that I'm, prove my worth ever since. Sure. Like, I know I'm weird, but look, <laughs> can I dance for you? <laughs> hey, that can works. I, can I dance uh, hard? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Marianne, oh, so where can, so in the interest of, uh, of dancing for people, where can yes. I listen? Where can I dance? <laughs> uh, where can they dance? Where can where can they see you dance? Where can they get oh, to you or learn more about you? Um, that's so nice. Um, well, I'm dancing over on uh, just my website. It's MarianneRichmond.com. Just and right. my name is M A R I A N N E. So all one word, Marianne, and then Richmond R I C H M O N D. Awesome, and we will and, include that. Yeah. Well, a link. Uh, yeah, a link that's so nice. But we want to just thank you so much. What a great conversation and a fascinating oh, conversation. And I think a conversation, as Rhea said, that we've never really had on, we haven't had on this podcast yet. And a, and a very that's important so awesome. one for our listeners. Yeah. Well, and this whole conversation is such, such an example because how I started out where I said I met Rhea in the in the uh, checkout line. That is, is, but it wasn't even Costco, Rhea. We were standing at Parnassus. Yeah, no, I remember. After, yes. Right. And you were behind me checking out and we literally had a quick chat. And now here we are, what, probably a year and a half later yep. talking on your podcast. And Great. that is such a metaphor for the book world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're, totally. Yeah. Those you're planting planting yeah. seeds all I'm planting the, the seeds though in real life instead of <laughs> yes <laughs> yes one day totally. virtually <laughs> yeah but i love 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 your podcast you guys pull back the curtain on the re on the reality of writing as a business and that is invaluable because we are all individuals thinking 
I must be the only one thinking this. I must be the only one having this challenge. And I just feel so encouraged when I realize I'm not alone through what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah. that we thank all. you for that. Yep. That's exactly yeah. why we do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you so much once again. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 